Well, this morning we are going to, we've been on a series for several weeks. We're not in a series now, okay, so everybody can relax. You didn't miss anything. But we're going to spend a couple of three weeks. It's the Christmas season, okay? And, and, and one of the wonderful things about Scripture is, is that no matter how many times you read it, God has something new to teach us from it. Amen. I, I, it's, it's, uh, it never gets boring. If it's boring, the problem's with us. It's not with God. Okay? And so for the next couple of weeks, we're just going to look at uh, some passages that we're all familiar with. And, and literally, what I've entitled this morning is, is, is a prophetic Christmas. And, and I believe the Bible is a prophetic book. Okay, I'm going to say that again. I believe the Bible is a prophetic book. From Genesis through Revelation, we have the unfolding of God's plan. God tells us what He's going to do before He does it. Okay, now that's how you know when somebody's in charge. Okay, it's when they tell you they're going to do something and then they do it. And the, the, the wonderful thing and the beautiful thing about God is, is that God does everything He says He's going to do. He doesn't let one little uh, detail go. He accomplishes every detail to the uttermost. God is a, a prophetic God. And the Bible shares His revelation of who He is. We know God personally because He's revealed who He is through His book. Now, we know there is a God by looking outside. I mean, Scripture teaches us in, in Romans that we have natural revelation, that, that, that anybody with a modicum of a brain, okay, knows there's a God, whether they will admit it or not, because of natural revelation. We know that. But God has revealed who He is personally through His Word, through His prophets, literally. And he, he's, he's, he's revealed what He wants us to know and what His plan for creation is through His Word. He's a prophetic God, and, and literally His people are supposed to be a prophetic people. And it was co very common in both Old Testament and New Testament times for the people of God to get messages from God through a person or a group of persons. You see that in the Old Testament very often. And, and you see it in the New Testament as well. Now, they got messages Men and women came. There were men and there were women. Just read your Old Testament. It's there. Read your New Testament. It's there. Both men and women proclaim the prophetic word of God. And, and what happened is, is, is there would be sometimes be unbiblical or false prophets who would come. And they would give messages. And they sounded really good. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily strange or bizarre messages. It just wasn't the message that God sent. That's the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet. The, the true prophet spoke the word of God. The false prophets spoke somebody else's words. Okay, they spoke words from their own heart. Or they spoke them from a, a, a demonic uh, direction. And so what the responsibility of the people was, was to discern who the real prophet was. That, that God gave his people that responsibility. Now, you say, how in the world can we know that? Well, we've got his revealed word. We have, the, we have a, some guidelines here to understand, is this God or is this not God? And so he's given us that responsibility. Now, the word prophesy simply means... It's, it, it, it's got a very simple definition. It means to hear what God is saying and speak what God said. Hear what God is saying, speak what God said. In the book of Ezekiel, that's what, when it says prophesy, when he tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the valley of bones, he says, Ezekiel, I want you to hear me when I speak. And I want you to speak what I spoke. Okay, that's, that's what happens with false prophets. They don't speak what God spoke. They speak other things. And the Bible's filled with, with prophets, especially during the, the time of, of the destruction of Jerusalem. There were, there were hundreds of false prophets. There were only one or two true prophets. And so the word prophesy means to hear what God is saying and then to speak what God has said. And that's every word. Not one word more, not one word less. They're to deliver God's message 
to those to whom it's addressed. Now, in a sense, the prophets were God's male men or male women. Okay? They brought the mail from God to his people. Some of them are famous. We know their names. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and some of the, the Jonah, Daniel, uh, David. You may not realize this or not, but David was a prophet. And he's pouring it out out there this morning, amen? That's a good sign. A lot of them are famous. and We know their names, and we know, we know what they said. It's recorded for us. But there are others that were nameless. We don't have their names, and yet we have some of their prophecies recorded. And I would dare say that some of them are not, okay? I, I don't think that all the, the words God spoke to His people are contained in our book, okay? If, it, if, it, if they were, it would be so thick we could not carry it around. But they were faithful in delivering God's Word. Some of their prophecies are recorded, and some of them are not. Now, in today's church... The word prophecy creates different reactions. And I'll guarantee you in this room this morning, these reactions are going on, okay? I I just know that. You need to relax, okay? Take a deep breath. We're not going anywhere strange or bizarre. For many people, when they hear that that, that we're going to have a prophecy study, they get excited. You know why they get excited? Because we're going to study Daniel or the book of Revelation. They're excited about that. That we're going to find out what it means and what the future events are that are spoken in them. Okay? So for some people, it creates excitement. For other people, it creates angst and fear. Okay? It creates uncertainty. Because deep down inside, they don't believe God speaks anymore. We have the Word of God. We have everything we need. Why would God speak anymore? Now you, you may say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, most of us were raised and reared in churches that taught that. Okay? Now, I believe God is a present tense God. Okay? God's not bound by time. Okay? Which means God's the same as He was in the Old Testament. Same today. I don't believe God quit talking when John died, the last apostle. I don't believe God quit talking when uh, all the books that we have in the canon of scriptures are there. I don't believe He quit talking. Now, I want you to hear me, okay? I don't believe that we add anything to this Word of God. I think it's complete. But I still believe God speaks, okay? He still speaks. He still speaks prophetically through people. He uses His Word very often. Okay? But He also uses the Holy Spirit to give us a message that we sometimes as a church need corporately, but especially as individuals. Okay? Now, I grew up in a a background where the first two emotions that I described would have been at home. I just don't happen to be there. I happen to be in the place where I still believe God still speaks. Okay? And if I have a need, He will speak to me if I will listen. If you have a need, He will speak to you. He may speak right directly out of His Word to you. Okay? But it may be from a verse that somebody else could read and get absolutely nothing out of it. But the Holy Spirit takes it and applies it to the situation and the circumstance. Or somebody may just walk up to you and say, Hey, blah, 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 blah. And like an arrow into your heart, you knew that message was from God. Folks, God still speaks. He's a prophetic God. And we're supposed to be a prophetic people. We're supposed to hear what God is saying and speak what God has said. He's right now. Prophecy creates excitement. Okay? It creates a sense of urgency in the body of Christ. And and I get excited to, to think that, you know what? When I sit down to read the Word of God, God may speak to me out of it. When I come to church, I get excited that that God may speak to me out of a song. 
He may just speak to me out of a brother or sister who comes up and says, you know what, I was praying and I got this, this, this sensation, I'm not sensation, but I got this, this, this urgency to share this with you. I don't know what this means, but maybe you do. And God speaks. Folks, God is a prophetic God. He's always been a prophetic God. He will always be a prophetic God. And I get excited because I realize that, that God may just speak to some of us this morning through His Word. We're going to look at His Word. and We're entering the Christmas season, which in many ways, I think, is a, is a celebration of the prophetic nature of God. And I'm going to share some things this morning with you. We'll talk about prophecy in different ways later on next year. But, but prophecy is one thing that has surrounded the coming of Jesus Christ from the very beginning. From the very garden, folks. There was a prophetic word that went out in the garden. And it has continued. God wanted His people to know, I'm coming. Get ready. And so he spoke prophetically. It was a word of hope, and it's still a word of hope. It was a word of deliverance. It's still a word of deliverance. It was a word of encouragement. It's still a word of of encouragement. Christmas is far, far more than about shopping and sales and decorations and candy and cookie and Santa Claus and gifts and getting and giving gifts. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I want you to hear me this morning. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. All of that stuff came into being as a result of the birth of Jesus. It's a part of the celebration. But folks, that's not Christmas. Okay? That's not why we celebrate Christmas. So we can go to a sale. Or we can get a good deal. Or we can have that meal. And I'm already beginning to think about what that meal is going to be like. You know, it's not so we can give gifts. And I love to give gifts. And I love to receive gifts. But Christmas is about this. Here's the essence of Christmas. Everybody in this room knows this verse. But here's the essence of Christmas. For God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. He gave. Let's make it personal. For God so loved me, you, 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 Diane, Byron, Rosemary, Clarence. For God so loved me that he gave. And I don't know whether you, you think about this or not, but God gave without reservation or reserve. He never thought once about whether or not you or I deserved it. He just poured it out. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to give a gift that, that can't be explained. It's going to blow their minds. It's going to short-circuit them. And that's what he did. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Christmas, folks, is all about Jesus Christ and the promises, the prophetic promises which surround Him. And if it's not, then it's not Christmas. If it's not about Jesus, it's not Christmas. It's just giving and getting. It's just about football games and turkey and ham. If it's not about Jesus, it's not Christmas. Since the beginning, I mentioned this a few minutes ago, God has shared His secrets through His prophets. There's a passage in Amos that that I love to read. God does not act without sending not just a warning, but a word. God's not really into surprises. Now, it may surprise us because we're not paying attention to Him speaking. Let me say that again. The reason it surprises us sometimes when things happen is because we're not listening. He lets us know beforehand. That's what he says in Amos chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. He says, Surely the Lord does nothing unless He reveals His secret counsel to His servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. 
who will not fear. The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? In other words, when the Lord speaks, His people ought to be speaking what He's spoken. God lets us know beforehand that He's going to do something. It just isn't just Shazam and there it is. He's spoken and spoken and spoken and spoken and spoken. And those who are listening are ready. And those who are not, miss it. That's the way it's always been. We live in a day now when, when the Lord has spoken. You be ready. Because in one of these days, I'm going to return. And in the day I return, it's going to be like a thief coming in the night. It's not that it's going to be dark and that he's going to sneak in. It's, it's that if you're not prepared, you won't see him. You will miss him. Does that make sense? God wants us to be prepared. So he's given us all kind of, of prophetic words for the, for the future coming. But he did the same for his first coming. And we're going to look at some of those this morning. Because the coming, the first coming of Christ, it's very evident. Most conservative scholars, most uh, biblical scholars believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. They believe that Moses wrote Genesis. The Jews believe this. That's why they call the first five books the Torah. The word of Moses, the Torah. Uh, it's the revelation of God's law. It's the Torah. And so God began to give prophetic words about the coming of Jesus almost immediately. I mentioned a few minutes ago that, that he did it in the garden. In Genesis 3.15, there's a prophetic word that, that is spoken. And it's a word spoken in judgment to the serpent. But out of that judgment on the serpent, there's a word of encouragement and hope to the couple who've just fallen, who've just failed, who've just sinned against God. And it's, it's, it goes like this, and the, and the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity. That word enmity, if you want to translate it, this is what God says, I declare war against you. That, that's literally what it means. There's going to be war between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise Literally, the translation should be, He shall crush you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, got a big long word for that verse. It's called proto-evangelium. It comes from Latin. Proto means first. Evangelium is, is the gospel. The, 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 uh, so it's the first, this is the first gospel. God's saying, there's one coming who's going to put an end to you. He's going to set them free. That's what God was saying. He, you're, going to, you're going to bruise Him, but He's going to crush you. And as I was studying this week and, and just, just thinking through this, I, I still see that scene in the Passion of the Christ where that snake comes crawling out, and I can hear the sound of, this, of the head of that serpent as it's being crushed. A few weeks ago, it's been three or four weeks, maybe two months now. You know, when you get older, time moves really fast. Okay. <laughs> I was, uh, I'd been down to the, to the barn, I was coming back, and I stepped up in my carport, and, and was about to go in the back door, and for some reason, something just told me to turn around. Well, when I turned around, there was a, a snake. I don't like snakes, okay? Just telling this story gives me the heaves, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. But there was a snake, he, 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 was, he, he was this long, but about this much of him was, was out behind, I'd walk right by him. And he was, he was going across. And I thought, I'm going to have to kill him. Because that's what I think every time I see a snake. Am I going to tell you what kind it was? Because it really doesn't matter to me. All right? If, you, if you're into good and bad snakes, you're probably in the wrong place. All right? All snakes are bad snakes. And the only good snake is a dead snake. All right? You say, Nelson, where'd you get that? Right out of the Word of God. Okay? Okay, anything with a snake in the Word of God leads to bad things, okay? You say, well, what about the serpent on the pole? They worshipped him finally, okay? Enough said, I'm going to go on my story. So anyway, this snake, he's, he's, I mean, he's checking out things. He said, hey, the fat boy's gone in the house. So he's too slow, he won't bother me. So I look around, there's nothing to kill him with. The hoe is at the barn. Okay, if I go to the barn 
He's going to be gone. There's a bucket there. A little, they'll water the dogs with it, a little gallon bucket. Well, you can't kill a snake with a bucket. I tried, okay? <laughs> I'm banging at him, and he's, he's back behind the dog food. So I, finally, I just throw the bucket down. My, my heart's just doing this, you know, because I'm terrified. I mean, I'm scared, okay? I just don't like snakes. I'm going to warn you right now, don't put a snake on me, all right? Because I will become not a preacher, all right? <laughs> I'm just telling you, okay? And so he, he starts out, and I start banging at him, and he starts back. And, and I think, man, if he gets behind that dog food bucket and drops off the edge of my carport, he's under the, he's under the deck, and I'm going to have to do this all over again because he'll show up again. And I, I just had this sense... And I know it wasn't Satan, and I know it wasn't me. Grab it by the tail. <laughs> I'm not saying it was God. Just hear me, okay? I'm, but I know it wasn't the other two. I don't like snakes, okay? Did I mention that? I don't like touching them. I don't, I don't touch them. I grabbed that snake just like that, like a bullwhip. His head hit the concrete. That was the end of the snake. I hold him by the tail. He's just, his head's flat and his eyes are gone, okay? He's dead. And I got pumped, okay? <laughs> Crawl up in my carport, will you? And folks, that's, that's, what, that's what God's saying. That's what God was saying to this couple. He crawled up in my carport. And one of these days... I'm going to mash his head. He's not going to be an issue anymore. He was speaking, folks, of Jesus. He was giving us a picture of the one who would come. There, there's a picture there that is of more than just the Christmas baby being born. There's also the victor on the cross. Because when Jesus died on the cross, and when he was raised from the dead, Satan's head was crushed. And I'm reminded of a verse. I was reading over this this morning, and, and God just quickened this verse. It's not on the screen. But in Romans 16, 20, Paul writes this to the Roman believers. He says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. There, there's, a, there's a prophetic word in Genesis that there's one coming that will crush the enemy. It judged Satan, but it encouraged the people. It gave the couple there in the garden hope that one of these days a deliverer was going to come, a Savior would come, and they would be born of a woman. And we'll talk more in the next couple of weeks about uh, the virgin birth and, and, because it's important that we understand it. But, but I'm just going to just... God says, you know what? It's going to come from the woman's seed, and a woman has no seed, Okay. So God's speaking prophetically. He's, he's letting us know something. Later in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, God promises Abraham that there's a Messiah would come, and he would come from his family. He says, and, in all, and you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, that's a prophetic picture. To those that were paying attention, here's a clue. This Messiah is going to come from the family of Abraham. God's beginning to narrow it down. He said, there's going, to be a, uh, there's going to be one born who will crush your head. Well, that can be anybody. Now he begins to narrow it down. It's going to come from Abraham's family. And if you read Genesis and you read Numbers very closely, you'll see that it's going to come from the, from, he's going to be a son of Isaac. He's going to be a son of Jacob. Genesis 49.10 even tells us the family, the clan that he's going to come from. It, it tells us which tribe the Messiah would, would, would originate after. As, 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 as uh, Joseph, or as, as uh, Jacob is blessing his sons, he gives this blessing to Judah. In verse uh, 10 of chapter 49, the scepter, the ruler's staff, that's what a scepter is. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. By the way, Judah means praise. The scepter shall not depart from praise. It shall not depart from Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Now we read that and we just keep reading. But literally the word Shiloh means until he 
to whom it belongs comes. That's what Shiloh means. Until the, the scepter and the staff that belong to him rest with him. That's what it's saying there. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So, so now we know that, that this Messiah is coming. He's going to destroy the enemy. He's going to come out of Abraham's family. He's going to come through Isaac, not Ishmael. Jacob, who's called Israel. Jacob has 12 sons. It's coming through Judah. Okay, Judah is, 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 the, is the tribe will come from. And then later, as Moses is, is preparing the people to go into the land, he speaks prophetically again about Jesus. And, 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 and God speaks to him, and, he, and so he says, I want you to share this with the people. Share with them what you've heard me say. I want you to prophesy. That's what it means, to hear from God and speak what I've said. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 13, and then I'm going to read verse 18, uh, Moses tells the people, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among you, from your brothers, you shall listen to him. That tells us that Jesus is going to come from among the people. In other words, the sky's not going to open up, and he's not going to show up on a, on a big white stallion. Okay? It's, that he's going to come from among the He's going to be one of the people. He's going to be raised up from among the people. And you shall listen to him. And then, then he reiterates that again in verse 18. And, and, and he uses the, the personal pronoun I. And, he, and that's God speaking. I will raise a prophet from among you, their brothers like you. He's telling Moses that. And I'll put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. You remember what Jesus said? All that I see the Father doing, that's what I do. All that I hear the Father say, that's what I speak. So it was a fulfillment of, of that very passage there. One of the signs of the Messiah's coming would be his prophetic ministry of speaking what God had spoken. Jesus spoke prophetically. He preached prophetic messages. He was a prophet, if we want to call it that. I think he was, and I don't think we have to call it that. It's just what it is. So every time an Israelite person heard a prophet speak for the first time, you know what went through their mind? Is this the Messiah? Why? Because they had been told by Moses that he's coming. And he'll be a prophet like I was. Which means he'll do things like I did. He, he will speak to God face to face. Moses spoke to God face to face. God called Moses his friend. Never been another prophet like Moses until Jesus comes. And so... They asked him, is this the prophet? And, and, and you think about it, there's, there's, there's ample proof of that in Scripture. Remember when John the Baptist burst on the scene? They sent, the, the, the officials in, in Jerusalem sent a convoy down there to find out who he was. And they said, hey, are you the prophet? The prophet? They were asking, are you the Messiah? And John said, no, I'm not the Messiah. There's one coming who's far greater than me. I'm not even worthy to latch his sandals. He's going to baptize you in the Spirit and in fire. I'm just the messenger preparing the way. That's what John was saying. And so, over and over and over, they asked that question. When they asked John that, he said, no, I'm not. And we learn also, just from prophecy, just from the prophetic word, that we learn that, that, that the Messiah is going to be the heir of King David. There's a, a beautiful verse in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. God speaks to David. And this is, this is, this is you know, God's just pouring out His grace on David. David's a warrior. And he's a psalmist. And he's a praise warrior. And God says, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, when you die, David, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, if you read that, and, and you don't pay attention to the whole verse, you'll think, well, this is Solomon. And it does speak of Solomon. But Solomon's house divided. It split. That wasn't what God was saying. God was saying, you know what, I've, I've got a, you've got a son that's coming. He'll be known as the son of David. 
and he's going to set up a house. He'll build a house. And folks, let me just, let me, this is so exciting. It ain't brick and stone. It's us. He's going to build a house that will last forever. And he will set up his kingdom in that house forever and ever and ever. From that point on, the Messiah begins to be called the son of David. Later, you, you begin to trace these prophetic words. You get to, 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 to Isaiah. And by the way, there are numerous passages in the book of Psalms. And we'll look at some more in a minute. Uh, it's amazing how many prophetic words God gave David about the Messiah in the book of Psalms. There's a ton of them in Isaiah as well. Later in Isaiah, we find that the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. And that's essential. And like I said, we'll talk about this a little bit more. Maybe you're thinking, okay, what's the big deal about the virgin birth? Well, without a virgin birth, folks, there's no Savior. Okay? There's no Christianity. There's no Christ. Because if a man born of a woman and another man could take care of the issue, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. There has to be one born who does not have a sin nature. Okay? And every human being born in the natural way has a sin nature. It's passed from father to child. It's not passed from mother to child. You remember Genesis 3? It'll come from the woman's seed. She doesn't have seed. It's going to be a miraculous thing. That's what God's saying. There's going to be a miracle here. There's going to be a miracle here. And so, this child that's going to be born is later called in the New Testament the last Adam. That's because at the point of his birth, he picks up where the first Adam left off. And he begins to live the life that Adam, the first Adam, was designed to live, was ordained to live, was chosen, created to live, and yet he didn't. And so the Messiah would be the last Adam. The, 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 and the last means the final one. There won't have to be another one after him. And so this virgin birth is important, folks, because without it, there's no sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice has to be perfect without defect. Or it's no good. And so in Isaiah... Isaiah prophesies, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. See, God's just, he's just, he's just pulling the stage, batting the curtain back and saying, Hey, I'm coming. The virgin is going to bear a son. Guess who it's going to be? Me. And I'm going to be with you. We even have the place and the hospital he's going to be born in. You say, we don't. I say, yes, we do. It's found in Micah. God tells us prophetically where the baby was going to come from. You say, well, that, that, how can that be? Well, the Jews knew where he was going to be born at, every one of them. All the theologians in, uh, in Jerusalem knew when Herod asked them, hey, where's the baby supposed to be? Well, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem of Ephrathah. They knew exactly where he's supposed to come from. Because in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, God speaks prophetically through the prophet Micah. And he says, but as for you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one shall go forth to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now, this tells us where he's going to be born, but it also tells us something else. It tells us that this Messiah is not like everybody else. This Messiah is eternal. That's what it says. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity, meaning this Messiah is going to be God. It's going to be me. I'm going to touch down in Bethlehem. Okay, that's, that's what he's in. The house of bread, bread will be in the house. That's what he's saying. You see how important the prophetic word is? I mean, for those that were listening, for those that weren't just 
in their daily Bible reading, reading chapters and verses and turning pages, God was focusing that light into a laser. Let's get more focused and more focused and more focused. That's because God's prophetic, and His people should be prophetic. Now, as, as God begins to reveal this, He gets very specific in those prophetic words. You say, well, He's pretty specific now. Folks, He gets lots, lots more specific. It's like reading the fine print when you buy something or on a legal document. That's how, uh, that's how specific God gets. Because it, it tells us, when he's going to arrive, I mean, it tells us what his ministry is going to be like, what his work's going to be like. See, in other words, this is not going to be a hidden Messiah. This is not going to be somebody that just work, lurks in the corners and in the darkness. This is going to be a very public figure, one that's easily discernible if you've listened to the messages, if you've listened to God, if you've listened to the prophetic word. The Bible tells us that, that the, the prophetic word tells us that, that there's going to be a slaughter of babies in the very town that he's born in. Do you know that? That's what Matthew, he quotes for us. What did Herod do when he found out that the, the wise men had gone to Bethlehem and they didn't show back up? He said, I'll take care of this problem. I'll just kill all the boy kids under two years old. I'll make sure I get him. And so he did. He slaughtered them. And, and the gospel writer says that, that the voice in, in, in Ramah and in, in Bethlehem was crying out for her children. It's a direct quote, folks, out of the Old Testament. It tells us that, 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 that the Old Testament prophetic word tells us that, that Jesus would spend a season in Egypt. And what does the angel tell Joseph to do? Pack your wife up, pack your little boy up, go to Egypt. And I'll tell you when it's safe to come back. See, it was prophetic. We know that, that when Jesus' ministry begins, that there was going to be a messenger who went before him. We know that from the prophetic word. But it pinpoints it a little bit more. Not just a messenger, but an Elijah-like messenger. In other words, there's going to be one come who, who's the spirit of Elijah, who, who is Elijah. And we know that was John the Baptist. Jesus said it was. Okay, we don't even have to guess, is this, does this apply to John? Jesus said, this applies to John. No greater prophet has lived. Now that's pretty tall compliments. Moses, Elijah, they were, the, they were the top of the hill in Israel. And Jesus said, John is greater than them. And so we know that, that John the Baptist, we also know that, that this Messiah is going to be called a Nazarene. Well, how do we know that? The Old Testament tells us. It tells us that, that he's going to be a light to the people in Galilee. How do we know that? Isaiah tells us that. We know that, that he's going to be called the Son of God. And that he's going to be rejected by his own people. Boy, it's, it's shrinking down. You see how focused God is? The closer it gets, the more focused He is. We know from the prophetic word that this Messiah is going to be a prophet, a priest, and a king. Only the Messiah could hold all three offices. That's four, but I can't bend the finger like I need to. Prophet, priest, and king. Remember King Saul? King Saul, one of the reasons God got so angry at Saul is because Saul was already a king and a prophet. You remember? He prophesied. They said, is Saul among the prophets? God made him a king. What did Samuel tell him not to do? Don't offer sacrifice till I get there. What did he do? He usurped the position of the priest. Prophet, priest, king. He becomes a false Christ. That's why God destroyed his kingdom. There's only one that could be the true prophet, priest, and king. And the Old Testament tells us that. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that this Messiah is going to speak in parables, that the children are going to praise him, that he's going to proclaim the glory and the gospel of God, and he's going to do it through healing and signs and wonders. We know that's all going to happen because the Old Testament tells us. When John's in prison, when he's been arrested, right before he's executed, uh, he begins to have some second doubts, okay? And don't get too hard on John, all right? 
If you were where he was and what was about to happen to him and the amount of pressure, you would have done the same thing. He began to wonder, is Jesus really the one? And so he sends a, a message to Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus doesn't go, yes, I'm the one, John. You know what he does? He, he points John back to the prophetic word, John. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are clean. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. See, we know all this from the prophetic word of God. But folks, there's a lot more. There's more. We know why he would die. We know how he would die. We know that that they would buy a potter's field with the money that he was sold for, 30 pieces of silver. We know that, that, that he would be hated for no cause. And yet, he would remain silent as he was spat on and punched. and beat. We know that from the Old Testament. The Old Testament spoke of that. We know that he would be scourged with a whip. Isaiah tells us that. And it, he'd be crucified with criminals. We know that. And folks, it tells us this before there was a such thing as crucifixion. That's what you need to understand. 800 years before Christ, David writes things in the Psalms a thousand or more years before Christ. There was no such thing as a Roman cross. They didn't execute that way. And yet they describe it in detail. We know that he'd be mocked and laughed at. We know that his garments would be gambled for by soldiers. We know that from the Psalms. We know he'd even be given vinegar to drink from the Psalms. And this is, this is one that just makes chills run up and down. We know that not one bone in his body would be broken. What happened after the crucifixion? The Roman soldiers go around. Because it's going to a high holy day. They don't want to leave anybody on the cross. So they break their legs so they'll die quicker. They get to Jesus. Jesus is already dead. They didn't break his legs. We know even more. We know that he will be forsaken by God. David wrote this. My God... My God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus quoted that. He's quoting from the Psalms as he's there on the cross. The prophetic word of God. He was abandoned. And the reason he was abandoned is because he bore not just our sin, folks. He didn't just carry our sin. He became our sin. And the Father turns away. He's forsaken for us. Folks, Jesus becomes the sacrifice for sin. We know that because there's a prophetic word in the Old Testament. And ultimately, I heard somebody just breathe this out a few minutes ago. Ultimately, his enemies would pierce his side. Scripture tells us that. And not only that, it tells us that he would be buried in the tomb of a rich man. It's laser-like. You see what I'm talking about? It's not just a flashlight shining in the darkness. It's a laser beam. But there's more. Okay? Those prophetic words tell us that Messiah would be resurrected. You say, well, where's that at? Well, it tells us he won't remain in the grave. Look at Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. It says, For thou will not abandon my soul to shell. Sheol is the grave or the abode of the dead. For you won't abandon my soul to Sheol, neither will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Folks, the only way that a person who has died does not decay is if they are resurrected. That's it. Eventually, over time, that body, I don't care how mummified it is, decays. So we know there's going to be a resurrection. God declared it in advance. It wasn't, it shouldn't have surprised everybody. Because you see this passage quoted over and over and over by the gospel writers. The prophetic word also tells us that, that the Messiah would ascend into heaven. 
and that he'd be seated at the right hand of God on the place of authority and power. It also tells us that he's going to pour out, this Messiah, Messiah is going to pour out the Spirit of God. If you, just roughly, in the, in the past 35, 40 minutes or so, I've given you 44 prophetic words that are validated in the New Testament because the New Testament writers validate them. This was said, this happened. Folks, God is a prophetic God. And His people are supposed to be a prophetic people. And Christmas is a prophetic demonstration of how much God cares about us. Let's just, let's just get even a little... It cares about you and you. He cares about you so much that He would not allow you to miss the greatest gift that could be given. There will nobody be in heaven who will stand and say, God, I didn't, I, I missed Jesus. I didn't know. You say, well, what about this and what about this? Folks, God has proclaimed him. And not only that, he's proclaimed him in natural revelation out there as well. Not just divine revelation. There's nobody going to stand there and say, you know what, God? I lived in the United States and I never heard this. Oh, you heard it every Christmas. You saw it every Easter. Every time you drive by a church, you see a cross. There's the gospel being proclaimed. Every time you see a, a, a baby in a manger with, with a man and a woman huddled over beside it, lighted with, with big old flashing lights, you're seeing the, the declaration of the gospel. Every time you receive a gift or give a gift, you're getting the gospel whether you believe it or not. God is a prophetic God. And He made sure that none of us missed the coming of His Son. We have a Messiah, folks. We have a Savior who was proclaimed by prophets and by angels. I want you to listen to this passage. All of you know this. We read it every Christmas. It's found in Luke chapter 2. The angel said, Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the peoples. Not just, not just the Jews, but for all the peoples. For today, in the city of David, Bethlehem, in the city of David, there's been born for you, for you, for you, for you, a Savior, a Deliverer, who is... Not who was. And I want you to hear this. That's present is who is. Okay? Who is the Christ or the Messiah, the, the, the anointed one, the Lord, God. Folks, the prophetic word is for us. It's for you. It's for you. Here's the question, though. Will you hear it? And if you hear it, will you speak it? See, Jesus just didn't die in a manger. I mean, wasn't born in a manger so that we'd have something to put in our yard and put lights on. Okay? He, he wasn't born in a manger so we could have Christmas plays at Christmas. And there's nothing wrong with them. And if you've got a nativity scene in your front yard, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? Don't hear me say But that wasn't why he did it. He came, folks, to set us free from sin and death. That's why He came. He came to give us eternal and abundant life. A life that would start right now at the moment I came to know Him and would continue into eternity forever and ever and ever and ever. And then add some more evers as long as you want to add. That's what Christmas is. And God was so intent that every person on this planet know about it that He spent thousands of years putting billboards up and ads in the paper and posters on the wall. And if it had emails, He would have, he would have spammed it up with it, okay? With the message that, hey, I'm coming. Get ready. And yet, Scripture 
is very clear that the very people God sent him to missed him for the most part. You say, that's why you're preaching this message this morning to us. Because most of us are missing him today. Well, I come to church. I'm glad you do. Well, I, I don't do this and I don't do that. Well, I'm glad you don't and I'm glad you do. But folks, that's not the message of Christ. The message of Christ is, I came to set you free. And if you're not free today, it's just a billboard. It's just a poster on the wall. It's just something you do at this time of year. It's not real. Folks, the prophetic word has to be heard. It's got to be received and it's got to be believed. If you don't believe it and you don't receive it, you won't proclaim it. We will go into all kinds of areas in the next two weeks. We'll be in the shopping malls. We'll be with family. We'll be with, with people that uh, you may be serving in, in one of the missions in town, uh, doing breakfast or, or lunch. Or you may be working in, in, in a women's clinic, uh, sharing the gospel. But you will be with people who don't know the prophecy. You say, well, they, everybody's heard it. Yeah, but everybody doesn't believe it. And they hadn't received it. And therefore, it's not helping them. Folks, the message of Christmas is prophetic. God says, I'm coming. Don't miss me. And as a prophetic people, folks, we have to proclaim that prophetic message. Jesus has come. Don't miss him. Don't miss him. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.